Wow. To think about those words. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. Amazing. Yahweh. Yahweh. Um, it's perfect for what we're talking about today. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. <clears throat> and I have, I have nothing left in my voice right now. Anybody else lose their voice singing these songs this morning? Praise God. Thank you. Oh, man. You know, God is a good God. He's an amazing God. And we're, we've been looking in this series of Revelation, and we, we started out at a picture of Jesus. You know, John, the Apostle John, who was um, a disciple of Jesus and then an apostle. He's, he's in his 90s, and he's imprisoned on an island of Patmos because he loved Jesus with all of his heart and all of his life. And so he was put it on a rock all by himself. And in, on that rock, all alone, surrounded by the seas, Jesus comes to him in a vision and he says, hey John, I want you to look at this. I want you to write down the things that, that were. I want you to write down the things that are. And I want you to write down the things that are going to happen in the future. And he, and he opens his eyes and he gives him a vision of all this. And he gives him a picture in heaven. He gives him a picture of God. And if we don't understand God, at least on a level that our little minds can comprehend. If we don't think about who He is and what He's done and, and what His character is like, then we're not going to understand Revelation. As we look at this book of Revelation, we're going to look at it like, oh, that's really cool, or I'm happy that bad things are going to happen to bad people. But we don't understand that it's a righteous, holy God that is executing His judgment, but at the same time His grace and His mercy. You know, A.W. Tozer put it really, really clearly, really well one time, and he said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that? What comes into your mind when you think about God? Do you think of a peace sign Jesus on a billboard that looks like he was hanging out at Woodstock? Because that's not God. You see, here's the problem with people is that we're people. <laughs> this is our problem because in people there's something called a sin nature and that sin nature separates us from God. And, and man in his sin nature and in his sinfulness cannot see God. The Bible tells us that. But there's a day that we're going to be able to see Him. I want you to think about this. Every single person in this room will face God one day. Every single one of us. We are going to see God. Every single person that's listening to this online, you will face God one day. You will see God. There will be no more questions about what does God look like? Who is He? What is it like to be in His presence? Because I will tell you, it will be a terrifying experience for many people. But it will be an experience that is filled with, you'll be filled with many, many emotions. So I ask again, what comes into your mind when you think of God? You know, my, my daughters, three and five years old, they've been talking a lot lately. My grandfather passed away a, a, about a month ago or so, and, and we've been trying to explain that, you know, Pappy Andy's in heaven. You know, he was a born-again believer. He loved Jesus. He told everybody about him. He said, he's in heaven, and they, and, they, and they always want to understand what it's like. You know, we said, hey, we're going on vacation. We're going to go to Myrtle Beach and have vacation a few weeks ago. And they, and they said, well, are we going to see Pappy Andy there? I said, no, he's in heaven, sweetie. Well, what's, what's heaven like? Well, heaven is where God is. Heaven is an amazing, beautiful place. It's a place that we're not yet, but we're going to be. 
And, and I'm trying to explain and I'm at a loss for words. Has anyone ever tried to explain heaven to a three-year-old? Uh, it's much easier explaining to a three-year-old than a 33-year-old. Right? Because a three-year-old's mind is not tainted by every single thing they've seen on TV or seen in the world. They've not seen um, disease, pestilence. They, they don't even understand coronavirus. Yesterday, that Catalea was sitting at the table and she's got some allergies going on. And she looked across the table and she says, I have coronavirus. They, they don't understand. They don't understand the world around us. But we do. And we're sitting in here and we're walking into a situation. You guys, you're coming in these doors and you're bringing the world in with you. You're thinking about your struggles. You're thinking about divorce. You're thinking about broken relationships. You're thinking about what's going on in Afghanistan. It's terrible. You're thinking about people who are dying. They, they're, they're climbing on the outside of jets and planes so that they can get out of a country away from people who are terrorizing them to the point that they're falling from 20,000, 15,000, 10,000 feet in the air to their death. We live in a world where, where we're constantly being questioned about, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get vaccinated? Should I not get vaccinated? Who should be our president? Who shouldn't be our president? We live in a world that is full of struggle and pain. How many people live in fear half the time? How many people are afraid to admit it? <laughs> we worry. We're anxious. We're depressed. How many of us look outside? And are depressed, distressed, anxious, worried, fearful. Because of what's going on in this crazy world. It's so hard when we're inundated with the news all the time, right? Somebody's news. It's Fox or CNN or ESPN or, or whatever it is that you're looking at. Whatever you're getting your news from, from the, the local newspaper, from your buddy on Facebook, you know, who thinks that he knows everything about everything. That person... What is the news? How do we know what true news is? Well, it's really difficult to know because then we can't know that anything for real, anything that comes across our, our news feed, anything that comes across the TV, we can't know for sure if it's actually 100% fact or not because we can't be everywhere at once, but there's one person who can be. His name's God. And He's in heaven. And because we know God's in heaven, oftentimes we look at what's going on and we want to reach out to Him. Anyone feel like this right now? Feel like Charlie Brown? I saw this the other day. Hello, God. We need your help down here. The world has gone mad. Please hear and answer our prayers. Thank you, God. Amen. Has the world gone mad? Who believes the world's gone mad? Maybe this is you. It's me looking outside to see what chapter revelation we're doing today, right? Pastor Andrew, it's, it's inevitable. People ask me after the service when I'm going through this, this series, where, where do you think we are? You know, my brother-in-law, Jesse, which church do you think we are right now? Well, Jesse, I think we're all of them. I think we exhibit, this world exhibits every single church that's going, that, that was in the first two, in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation. But regardless, the, the thing is, we're looking, we're living in a place where we're looking around outside at everything and we're struggling. Because we know it shouldn't be like this. We know there's something in us that tells us we were not designed to live in a world like this. We were not designed to live in chaos. Why? How do we know that? Because we were created in the image of an orderly, non-chaotic God. 
A God who created everything. Sin brought in the chaos. But here's what we have to remember as we're going through this book of Revelation, as we're looking at things, no matter how chaotic or how out of control things around us look, we've got to remember that God is in control. Say it with me. God is in control. God is in control. So when you're struggling with fear, you've got to, you've got to repeat this to yourself. God is in control. When you're struggling with anxiety, God is in control. When you're struggling with questions of should I or shouldn't I, should I wear a mask, should I not wear a mask, should I get vaccinated, should I not get vaccinated, we've got to remember that God is in control. And if we can remember who God is in the midst of everything going on, then maybe just for a second we can have some clarity in our decisions. Because when you're trying to drive in the fog, you don't know if left is left and right is right. But when you focus, when you fix your eyes on heaven, you receive his vision, right? You fix your eyes on God and you focus on Him. We can see what's going on. We have to remember that the perfect King is on His perfect throne ruling all of creation. God isn't oblivious. God is not the husband who's oblivious to the wife when she's telling him she has a problem and he's like, I don't understand. Or apathetic. God is not your friend who who doesn't understand what's going on in your life and they're going about their business. God sees everything and He knows everything. So, when this is you, when you're caught looking outside saying, what chapter of Revelation are we in today? We've got to remember, when you get distracted looking outside, take a moment to look up. This is the takeaway, friends. This is the takeaway from today. Take a moment to look up. View the scene in heaven that says, God's got this all figured out. Today, what I want to do is I want to take you through Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to do my best to paint a picture that I don't even understand. Alright? You know, I, I don't even think I could do a Picasso in the picture of heaven right now. Maybe a Jackson Pollock. I don't know for those of you art fans out there. But one of the things that we need to look at, one of the things that I want you to ask yourself, if, if this is true, when we get caught looking outside, and we start to see, and we're, we're distracted by it, and we need to look up, we need to ask ourselves this, am I focusing on the wrong things? As I read this book, Revelation, you see, many of us, I'm not going to say many, maybe some of us, some of us are those people who we call ourselves Christians, and we are. We're born-again believers and followers of Christ, and we open up Revelation, why? Because we're excited to see how God's going to crush people that don't love Him. Well, that's not the right perspective. Some of us read Revelation because we're just intrigued about what's going to happen in the end. Well, that's not even the right mindset. Because the whole purpose of Revelation is to reveal the coming King. It's to reveal that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And to reveal what's going to happen as the King comes in and He sets up this world, and He makes it ready. He recreates it with a new heaven and a new earth so that God can come dwell among us. In fact, He's setting up a place so that we can dwell with God. That's what we're, we need to look at the, as, as Revelation, as we read it. We need to look through the lens of what is God doing with His Son, Jesus Christ, and what is Jesus doing with God? And how does the Holy Spirit fit all this? Well, today's, today's message begins... 
sorry, I got something in there I didn't realize I had. We should worship God with everything we've got. As we ended the last message a few weeks ago, we, it, it's really, really interesting how John ends chapter 3. And it says this, it says, To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Jesus is talking, he's talking about sitting on a throne. And he says, for those who are victorious, you're going to get to sit on my throne throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Anybody who hears this, I want you to listen up because it's really important, he says. And then we're going to see a throne. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to do something I normally don't do is I'm going to read the whole chapter first. Okay? Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. It says, after this, after John got the vision, after he saw the vision of the churches, of what was going to happen throughout the church age. Jesus gives him a vision. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, remember that voice that was a trumpet with Jesus, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And it says, At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like, like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, everybody read with me, verse, verse 8, read with me here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, right before it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, what does it say, that sentence? Day and night, they never stop saying. Just real quick before I finish reading this. Did anybody get tired of singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord this morning? Who was and is and is to come? There's going to be a day where we will not get tired of singing that. And I don't want you to think it's a boring thing to be in heaven or sitting on harps and singing holy, holy, holy over again and that we're just going to be bored out of our minds. That's not what's going on. This is a picture in heaven of absolute glorification of God. All right. Let's continue here. In verse 9, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, everybody with me, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they were created and have their being. That right there, my friends, is a picture of the throne in heaven. That is a picture of a heavenly temple. 
That is a picture of the house of the Lord in heaven. Did you understand it? Could you picture it? You know, when I was on vacation um, um, last week with my family, we, um, we, were at, we were at the beach, and one of the things I did was I, I was able to sit next to the ocean and read through the whole book of Revelation. And i got to tell you, I told Katie a few times, I said, wow, <laughs> it got me this morning. There was something about sitting next to the ocean and hearing the waves crashing and sensing the peace and the calm at the same time the power behind those waves and understanding that God created and I look as far as I could see and I could see nothing but a horizon of sea. And I'm reading through the book of Revelation and it continually talks about the holiness of our Creator. It continually talks about the power of our Creator. And I read things like this where it talks about the sea of glass that's just before God in heaven and in front of His throne. And I'm picturing it and I'm, and I'm trying to picture it and I'm understanding how beautiful that ocean is. When, when I was in Florida, you know, looking at, at, at the Caribbean, everybody, anyone ever seen the water in the Caribbean, how clear it is, how beautiful it is? And ever, anyone ever seen it when there's no waves? I got to tell you, it is the most beautiful sight in all, all the world to me. You look out there, you see no waves and the white sand underneath. You can get under the water, open your eyes without goggles on and see for 30 or 40 feet. It's just absolutely stunning. And I'm sitting there on the beach and I'm thinking and I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm reading about this idea of this throne in heaven and this sea of glass before it that's like crystal thinking, wow, what I'm looking at now can't even touch what that's going to be one day. In fact, I can't even touch what's there right now. This is a picture, I believe, of heaven right now. It's a picture of what's going on. You see, John gets a vision from Jesus and he's taken up there and, he, and he's looking and what he sees is something that's going on day and night, day and night. So for us, we read it really quickly. We read, we read it one chapter. I read it in about two minutes. And we think that's a one-time thing. But what John was seeing was a continual thing that was happening over and over and over again. And I don't know how it worked, but he saw it and he just saw the amazing awesomeness of our holy God and King. Of our Creator. You know, Artists have tried to, to draw pictures of this, and I've tried to look online to try to find some things that we could put up here. And I was disappointed with everything, but it's way better than anything I could do. So I just want to show you a little bit of this. Here's, here's just one person's idea of what this picture in heaven looks like. You've got this throne in the center. Can you see God's body there? Did, did you notice that John didn't describe how God was shaped? He just said his appearance was like because he didn't have words. And so we, we've got this picture of this throne in the middle and there are these four strange creatures that are flying around the throne. And then outside of that, in another circle, you've got 24 elders with crowns on their head and they're constantly in worship of God. And then in chapter 5 later on in another week, we're going to see this, that even surrounding that is a heavenly host of angels that are just all around that whole picture. And you could see the sea of glass before the throne. And you could see the seven uh, flames of the Holy Spirit in the, in the midst there before the throne. And it leads us to this first point. The Lord God is a king like none other. I put the, the comma in there. I know it's not grammatically correct, but I, but I want you guys to understand. He's a king. Because what we see 
is a throne. And who sits on a throne but a king? What we see is the throne of all thrones. In this, this picture of Revelation chapter in Revelation 4, John is getting a picture of the throne of all thrones. You see, John lives in a world where he sees and he knows and he understands that, that the Romans have someone on the throne, that Caesar is on the throne. He's come from a place where they had kings and stuff on thrones, human kings. But now he gets to the king of all kings. God the Father, God the Lord God Almighty is on his throne in heaven. And it says he looks up there and before him was a door that was open. You know, I just find it so interesting that when you read this, if you read it in pieces, you kind of miss the whole picture a lot. But the end of chapter 3, when, when John was writing what Jesus told him about the church of Laodicea, what was Jesus' plea to the church? He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens and lets me in, this is an amazing and wonderful thing. I will come in and dine with them. I will have fellowship with them. We'll see. And then Jesus takes John from that situation and he throws him up in heaven and he shows him a picture of heaven's gates wide open. Imagine if the doors of heaven were open before us right now in this very moment. I want you to close your eyes for a second, everyone. Think about it in your mind's eye of what your idea of heaven is. Can you picture the gates? Can you picture them open? Can you picture a God who's on His throne who's given us access to Himself through an open door? Just need to open the door. Just need to enter the door. You can, you can open your eyes here. What would we see? We'd see what some of this describes. One of the most difficult things about going through this study in Revelation is trying to understand what's symbolic and what's reality and what's reality and symbolic at the same time. And, you know, um, scholars, depending on your, your hermeneutic, the way that you study and interpret Scripture, um, the, the system that you use. They're divided on what some of this stuff is. They're divided on how real it is, some of the things that we're seeing, if some of it just is a, a metaphor for something else. But I believe here in this moment, in this chapter, that, that what John wrote was something that he was actually seeing, that he's not just speaking in, in metaphor. I believe he literally saw someone on the throne. He heard the voice call him forward. And he showed him what would take place. And he started to see things. And he started to feel, hear things. And I'm sure he felt things. Because I, we're sitting here in a flawed church, on a flawed, in a flawed city, on a flawed earth, with flawed people, with a flawed body, singing and worshiping. And I felt, I felt the presence of the Lord this morning. Did you? felt something. We know God is real. Well, John got to see Him. And I, I couldn't help but be reminded as I'm listening, as I'm reading this verse, it says, there before me, he says, after this I look. So where does he look? He, he probably didn't look down here. He probably looked up. And a door was open and a voice he heard Calls him and he says, come up here. And so he looks up. 
I couldn't help but think of the lyrics of the song we sang earlier. I fix my eyes on heaven. God, I receive your vision. God, I believe you're working all things for good. Pastor Angel, why are you putting it in there? We just sang it like we get it. But do we? Do we get it? When we understand that God is the king on the throne of the entire universe that he created, when we can picture him and understand that he's in control, then when we fix our eyes on heaven, when we fix our eyes on the throne in heaven of what God's doing, we receive the vision he's given us, the clarity, the perspective that he's given us, and it's in those moments that we can say, God, I believe you're working, dot, 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 all things for the good of those who love you. God is doing something in this very moment. So when we're stuck on what chapter of Revelation are we in? It matters, but it doesn't. Because we shouldn't be going like this. We should be going like this. Fix my eyes on heaven. I fix my eyes on God because that's when I can understand that He's working all things for good and the good according to his standard and his definition. And so John continues, he said, once I was in the spirit, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. John does this thing where he, he starts to explain and he shows a little piece at a time and he, and he develops that piece more and more. It's like the layers of an onion. He peels off the outer layer and we keep getting closer and as you get closer, you start to smell it more. You start to see it more clearly. You start to get to the heart of what's going on. And that's what he's doing. He's peeling off the layers of this as he's going through. And you see this place, this throne. It's the place, the location, the one place from which the whole of creation is ruled. I, you know, we, I forget this. I forget that God is, is literally sitting on a throne because I, we, we, we learn when we're kids that God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere, right? And, and that's true, but I think it's more a case of everything is before Him. You see, it's that little box, remember? Pull the box up and, and God just sees the whole box, everything, all the universe and the world and our life and everything is before Him. It's not so much that he's everywhere as that everything is right before him. And so he's sitting there. And so we forget that God is sitting there and he sees it all playing out. And he sees it from one place, one location. A location of power and authority. A location of mercy, peace, and grace. From a throne. That's John's description. He looks in heaven and he sees a throne. Are you picturing it? Are you understanding that there is a king in heaven? And now... You say, Pastor Andrew, what are you talking about? I, 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 we know that Jesus is the King of Kings, yes, but Jesus is God, and um, the Trinity is a really, really confusing thing. I was talking to Noah about it yesterday. It was Ileana, and, and they were asking questions about the Trinity, and I, was try, I put my scholar hat on and acted like I knew what I was talking about, and then told him I didn't have a clue. And he was like, I'm confused, and I was like, welcome to the club. But, just, a, a, you know, just so you understand, Chapter 4 is a picture of the Lord God, God the Father as we know it, on the throne. In chapter 5, we're going to see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne. And it's really amazing the parallels in both chapters as it shows everything that's being praised and honored about God the Father is the same words are being called to Jesus Christ the Son. But, I digress, I get back to this. So there's a throne. And on it here in this chapter, we see the creator of everything. God the Father. And it says that the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper 
and ruby. I'll go to ruby right away because ruby, what color is ruby? Red, right? That's, that's really, really cool. John says, when I'm looking, the light's coming through and I just see like what looks like ruby, what looks like red, but something that looks like jasper. And jasper has almost a, a, a clear greenish quality to it. Later on in Revelation, jasper is referred to as a crystal clear, almost a diamond-like thing. And so he's looking at this beautifully pure, luminescent, something that is just completely showing the power of the Almighty. That's what John sees. He looks and he sees a picture of power. He doesn't see a God who's shivering in his boots about what's happening down here on earth. He sees a God who's perfect in holiness and power. He sees a God that reflects beauty. And it says a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. That's a, I was trying to wrap my mind around this one. Anyone ever, ever seen an emerald rainbow? Emerald is the color green. Is, how can it be a rainbow if it's just one color? But it is. Because a rainbow is not a description of the multiple colors. But um, one of the things that, that is really interesting about this chapter and in this book is is the parallels to other things in the Old Testament. If you read Revelation alongside Exodus, you're going to see a whole lot of parallel there. God is doing something to explain His power and His strength. You, you read Revelation alongside the flood narrative, you see something there. And what happened at the, at, after the flood was over, God came out and he, and he showed her, He put a rainbow in the sky. But what this represents here, this rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne, I believe it's a, it's a picture of God's creative power and His mercy and His grace and the peace that He offers. You see, there's, there's this picture of how powerful God is. And He's sitting on His throne. And, and, and kings who sit on their throne, they sit there in judgment. They execute their will across whatever kingdom it is that's theirs. And here we have a picture of a person who's sitting on a throne, yet he's encircled in a halo of mercy, grace, and peace. Because God is not the God of Islam who's all about judgment. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of peace and reconciliation. God is a God of wrath and redemption. That's who God is. And this is the picture that John is painting with his words as well as he can. And he continues to say, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And so we saw that picture that was up there. So around this throne are 24 thrones. And we, well, what, are, what do these 24 thrones represent? Well, like I said, again, scholars are, are mixed on this. But, but I believe very clearly from the Old Testament passages and the New Testament when it talks about what this represents and what the, the role of these elders is. The twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. So what it represents is two bodies of God's people. The ones before the Holy Spirit, before Jesus died and rose from the dead, and the ones after. So Israel, the twelve sons of Israel, the twelve tribes, and then the twelve apostles represent the church. 
So surrounding the throne are God's people. Representatives of God's people. And they're dressed in white. And what is this white? We talked about white before. White represents purity. They're dressed in the, in the white righteousness of Jesus Christ. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. They had victor's crowns. Jesus said that you will be dressed in white and you will get your crown if you continue to be faithful to me. He said that to the churches. There are those pictures all through the, the New Testament. Okay, and so, um, oh, another thing here. With these 24 um, uh, people around the throne, one of, one of the other uh, understandings of what this number 24 represents um, is something out of 1 Chronicles 24, verse 4 and following. 1 Chronicles 24, 4. You can write it down if you like and you can go look it up. But it's a picture of the Levitical priesthood, about how many priests were required to do what God's called them to do. And guess what the number was? 24. And so I believe that it's a picture of all of this. I believe it's a picture of Israel, of the true Israel, of God's chosen people. But at the same time, the, 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 the new Israel, the true Israel of the church. And can combined, it is all the people of God and their role is to be the priest of God. You know, in Peter it talks about we are a kingdom of priests. We are called to serve God, to do His bidding, to do His will, to love and honor Him. And it says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, peals, rumblings, and peals of thunder in front of the throne. And you know, I was sitting here and I was thinking and I was laughing because I was reading this and I was thinking to myself, this is an amazing picture of what's going on in heaven. And then I just like all of a sudden thought, I wonder if there's drums in heaven. And then I read this verse. If I were to make the sound of what you think lightning sounds like, what would I do? I'd crash that cymbal, wouldn't I? I've done that before. I hurt my ears as much as yours and I blew my microphone. But if I wanted you to to uh, to, to represent, if I wanted to represent what thunder sounds like, what does it sound like? You know, I'm reading this song called Mr. Brown. I mean, this book called Mr. Brown Can Moo. Can you? Anybody read that to their children before? Okay, it's a little Dr. Seuss thing. Look, Mr. Brown Can Moo, and it gets to this this pick this this little page, and it talks about thunder and lightning, and thunder goes boom, boom, boom. Lightning goes splat, splat, splat. Anyway, all this, I'm just picturing, I'm thinking, what am I going to hear in heaven? Well, he talks about flashes of lightning, but, but there's got to be a crack with that, right? And he talks about rumblings and peals of thunder, and you hear it. So it's, it's this picture of absolute power and strength, because who's ever stood outside when a thunderstorm is over top of you? Yeah, we, we've, we've done it, and it's terrifying, right? It, it's also like awe-inspiring. It's beautiful at the same time. Because you're like looking at it going, wow, that's really close. That's really loud. That's really amazing. That's really dangerous. I should probably go inside, but I can't pull myself away. This is the picture John's got. He's, he's seeing this throne in heaven. He's seeing someone sitting there. And this is what he's seeing come from there. And it says, in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. I explained before that the seven spirits of God is represented of the fullness of the Holy Spirit because the number seven is a representative fullness in the Bible. It's, it's the complete, it's the way the Holy Spirit works. And so before this throne, you've got, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God on the throne in chapter five. We're going to see Jesus at the throne too. So there's a picture of the Trinity. I'm excited about this, guys. I'm excited because we're, we're getting a picture of heaven. We're trying to understand what it is, who it is we're supposed to be looking at 
when we've got a picture of what looks like hell on earth. It's crazy what's going on out there. We just heard an ambulance go by or something, right? Because there are problems here. But in heaven, there's lightning and there's thunder and there's power and there's control. Because the king is on the throne. And it says also in front of the throne was this... Um, I'm sorry, we jump to the next point. So the Lord God is the king and the Lord God is holy like none other. This idea of holy means set apart, unique. There's nothing and no one like it. So verse 6, in front of the throne there was the, what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Okay, now, I'm going to try but not even going to try to explain the sea of glass thing, okay? But one thing I do notice that's interesting is as we continue through Revelation and you're going to see it, Everything that's bad comes from the sea. The beast, the dragon, comes from the sea. In this picture in heaven, there's a sea of glass. Not a sea of crashing waves, not something that's out of control. A sea of pure control, clear glass. But as we get to the end of Revelation, when it talks about a new heaven and new earth being brought down, and, God, and it describes God and His throne, it describes the the new city and everything going on, it says nothing about a sea because the sea does not exist. Because I believe a sea is representative of death. And Jesus defeated death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Anyway, so in the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. If I said, if I talked about someone or if I refer to something as it was found in the four corners of the earth, what am I referencing? Complete, like, like all earth, totality and earth. And as you look in the Bible, whenever you see four, it's talking about all of creation. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we're looking at what these four creatures are, these living creatures. Write down in your, in your notes, write down in your Bible, Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6. In Ezekiel 1, you see pictures, you see a picture, Ezekiel, he he's, he's, does the same thing as John, he's brought to heaven and he sees a picture of cherubim. They're very similar to this, but they're different. And then in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, Isaiah is brought to before heaven and he sees a picture of seraphim and they're very similar, yet they're different. And I don't know if they're both pictures of the same thing here. And John just kind of put it all together because he was so overwhelmed. Or if it's a totally different class. But regardless, all of these pictures of all of these things together, it's a picture of total worship before the Creator. And so here we have this picture of the four living creatures. And they're covered with eyes. which It's, a, it's an understanding that, that they're aware. They see what's going on. They understand they are before God and they, they can see Him for exactly who He is and what He is. Pure holiness. The first living creature was like a lion. So he was it maybe representative of the wild beast. The second was like an ox, so the domesticated animals or, or of the earth. And then the third had a face like a man, so representative of mankind. And the fourth was like a flying eagle, so those things in the air. And so it's a picture of all of creation. All of these things are representative of, of a God who is in control. And the, each of the, the living creatures had six wings. And they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They never stopped telling God about how set apart and unique He is from everything and anyone. Constantly. 
John sees this. So when we think, when we sing a song called Yahweh and we think about holy, holy, holy is the one who was and is and is to come. It's a picture of what we're going to be able to experience one day. We're going to get to be in the presence of angels who are singing this, of living creatures who are singing this, of ourselves who get to sing this and our voices won't crack. Or maybe they will. Maybe God, he'll carry the joyful noise to heaven with us. I don't know. I sure hope not. I want to be able to sing in heaven. Do you guys want to be able to sing? Anybody out there really want to be able to sing and sing well? Anyway, so these guys, they continue singing this. And it says it's up there three times, and so I just wrote this in here. Holy, holy, holy. Three times, just in case you missed it, that God is completely set apart, unmatched from all His creation. From everything else, there's no one and nothing like Him. I also believe it's a pointing to the, the Trinity. Holy is the Lord God the Father, Holy is the Lord God the Son, and holy is the Lord the Spirit. All right, so the Lord God is king like none other. He is holy like none other. And he is absolutely worthy of worship like none other. I'm getting here to the end, guys, so bear with me here. So it says here, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Do you see what's happened here? These four living creatures, which are representative of all creation, are calling out and ascribing to God all His value and His worth. They're not giving Him something that's not His. God doesn't get His holiness. He doesn't get His honor and His glory and His praise because we say it. We just respond to who He is and we say, God, we know this about You. We're just saying it to tell You that we understand who You are. And so these creatures are doing it. It says every time they give glory and honor and praise and thanks to Him, who follows? people. We follow the lead of creation. And if, you, if you've read in your, um, if you've read in the Bible, you read in Matthew, you read other places, that creation groans because it can't wait for God to fix things. It says that the, the stars in the, in the heavens, they proclaim His glory. It says even the rocks would cry out if they, could, if they knew what was happening. And so it's a picture of we're following the lead of creation. And what are we doing? We're saying you are worthy. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. Why? In this specific instance, why are they saying he's worthy? Because he created all things. You are worthy of the praise. You are worthy of all of our attention. You are worthy, worthy of all of our perspective, all of our focus being aimed at you because you're the one that created all this. You're the one that put me here, God. You didn't have to. You had perfect love and, and relationship with the Trinity. You didn't need anybody else, but you did it to bring us in the loop. You're worthy. We love you for it. And I wrote something down here. Um, worship. 
just to go back to this understanding of what worship is, it's, it's etymology. It, it comes from, its root word is worth-ship. And worth is, is the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued. Ship is the state of being of whatever comes before it. So worship means the state of being valued. And so when these elders, when these creatures are worshiping God, as it pertains to God, they're giving God His worth or declaring to God His value. They're telling God what He already knows. And in doing that, when they tell God what, they already, what, what He already knows, it's, it's us understanding, it's them understanding what place that they're in before the Holy King. So the question for us, have you truly praised God? Do you see Him as worthy to receive glory and honor? Is God worthy of your worship? The answer is yes, but the question is, are you giving it to Him? Romans 12 says that, that uh, living our lives for Him, giving our bodies is a sacrifice. It's our reasonable worship. It's our service to Him. It's what shows that He's valuable is how much we give of ourselves to Him. So the question is, do you see Him as worthy to receive glory and honor? Does he know it? Could God sit here in the seat right here next to you and look at you? Could Jesus sit next to you, put his arm around you, and would he be able to say, yeah, I know that, I know that you find me worthy of worship. You see, these, this picture of heaven, when they're crying out, you're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive all the glory. And it says, and by your will, everything was created and have their being. This is our model for worship. Do you understand why I kept pushing it this morning then? Guys, we're going to sing today. Guys, I, I want to see a life. Let, let's sing songs about coming alive in the name of Jesus. Let's sing songs about coming out of that grave. Does this picture in heaven look like a party of dead people? Does it look like a party of people sitting down and not singing? Does it look like a party of people who are afraid to, to make a joyful noise for Him? No, it looks like unadulterated worship. People can't help but fall over themselves to give everything they've got to Him. It's a picture of them laying their crowns at Jesus' feet. It's a picture of them laying their crowns at God's feet, at the throne. They say, God, everything that we get, every crown that we earn, every victory we have is Yours. And it only comes from You. That is who God is. If we don't see Revelation through the perspective of Revelation chapter 4, that God is on His throne, that He's in control, that He understands what's going on, then we're going to miss the point of the whole book. And we're going to keep looking for what chapter of Revelation are we in without realizing we should be going, what do you want me to do today, God? God, I, I need you to shine the light on my heart and show me how I'm not making you or showing that you're worthy in my life of worship. Because our model is very clear. Revelation chapter 4. We get to, as Alan Iverson said, we we're talking about practice. For basketball fans, you would get it. But we're talking about practice. Coming here on Sunday mornings and singing, Going out there and doing what God wants you to do on a daily basis is practice for the day that it comes that we get to fall before His throne and give the crowns back to Him that we've earned because He's allowed us to earn them and because we've given our lives to Him. So as the worship team comes forward and I end this up, I close this out, I want, you, I want, to, I want to leave you with a few, few thoughts here. 
as you read Revelation, I want you to read it through the lens of God on His throne in perfect holiness and eternal power. Because when we start to see everything that happens that follows, you see, see Revelation takes this picture and it, and it has a snapshot of what's happening on earth. We saw that in, in Revelation 2 and 3, a snapshot of earth. But then he jumps up to heaven, and we're going to see in chapters 4 and 5, a snapshot of heaven. And then it goes back down to earth, and it keeps coming back to heaven. Because just in case you missed it, God knows what's going on. He's doing this. He has a perfect plan in place for redemption. Not just redemption of the people, but redemption of the world. So when you read Revelation, read it through that lens that God's in charge and control, and he's got perfect power and holiness. He makes all the decisions the right way. And finally, Revelation 4 should be our worship model. Now we're going to have an opportunity here. We're going we're to sing a new song. It's called The House of the Lord. And these guys have been working hard. And we're going to get up here, and I invite you to stand right now. And it talks about there's joy in the house of the Lord. Do you think there's joy in heaven? Do you think there's joy before the throne? Do you think those four living creatures that are flying around and the people are putting their, their, their crowns down, do you think there's joy in them? There's so much joy that they can, I can't wait to give back to God. Well, this is our moment to give back to God, to give Him our joy. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I worship like this, like these ones in heaven? If not, you can start today. You can start in this very moment. Even if you don't know the song, look to heaven and praise God.